Open up your Bible with me. Um, I'm going to start today in Mark chapter 4, and then we're going to work our way to the book of Ephesians. But I want you to go to Mark chapter 4 first. So you like my flowers? Those are right off the property. Those are off of Centerpoint Bible Church property. These are flowers that some of us planted, oh, I don't know, a year or two ago. And uh, my, they have gotten a lot prettier. And um, you can see them out there. I encourage you to ride by the property and see it. This is from a rose bush, I understand. I don't really know the name of the rose bush. I'm not a gardener, but I know someone who is. And um, here's the thing about these roses. You know, they're beautiful to look at. And there's pink ones or red ones, whatever those might be, and the yellow. And and they're beautiful to look at. But when you reach in to touch them, what happens? Oh, yeah, you get get bit in a second. Inside, I mean, I've already hit one. There's thorns all through these flowers. And it's it's a pretty cool thing about these things. We're, We're drawn to them. We're drawn to them, and we really want to reach out and grab them. But inside this mess of flowers, inside this group of flowers, there's all kinds of thorns. And I wanted to just, I wanted to bring this forward in your, in your mind today because I want to give us a warning, the same warning that Jesus did in Mark chapter 4 and the same warning that Paul's going to give us in Ephesians chapter 5 is the exact warning of these flowers. You know, the problem with these flowers is that they're beautiful They draw the eye. We're we're attracted to them. But in reality, in the midst of their beauty, we have the problem of thorns. It looks great from a distance. It looks beautiful from a distance. But the closer I get, the more I get engaged with these flowers, the more quickly I find the danger of the thorns. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus shares with us the danger of a thorn. And it's what I want to deal with today. Uh, Really, as we lead into Ephesians chapter 5, I want to start with the words of our Savior in Mark chapter 4. Now, as you go there, you'll probably recognize this as one of the most popular parables that Jesus really taught through. It's often called the parable of the soils or the parable of the soil, but I'm looking today for one truth that Jesus teaches us through this parable and use that then as a, as a stepping board to the book of Ephesians. Before I read it, though, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy we have in you. Lord, a joy that is not, it's not contingent upon anything that this earth may offer because we know that our future is set. We have a confident hope in what you're doing that you are conforming each of us to the image of your son and that is where joy is found. That is where life is found. The abundant life that you offer is found in Jesus. So now, Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts as we study your word We want to open up our hearts to have you speak to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me just give you just sort of an introduction to the parable of the soil so that it makes a little bit of sense when we look at one little part of it. Jesus tells this story. It's recorded in several of the gospel accounts. And the the point of this story that Jesus tells, a made-up story, the parables are stories that the great master teacher Jesus made up to really make one singular point. 
And his point in the parable of the soils is this. That God must work in your life for you to approach him. And in addition to that, we must have a heart that's willing to allow God to work in our life. There's a relationship that we desire, we were made to have with God. Where God does all the work, but we open up our hearts to him. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's explaining some of the things that are in people's hearts, in the soil of their soul, that prevent God from working fully in their life. And so at one point he talks about that, that the truth of God's word is shared with an individual, and all of a sudden, the birds, or he identifies Satan, comes and snatches away the seed. It's like, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen where truth is shared and a person is starting to respond in their heart. You know, when I'm up front here speaking, you can read so much about people's body language. I mean, you can just see people that are... Now, don't try to emulate any of this, okay? Because I'm wrong, I'm sure. But, you know, people leaning forward, you know, looking in their Bible, you can just see sometimes that God is working in their heart. And I've seen people, when I'm sharing the gospel, back in my youth ministry days, I'd be up, so up preaching the gospel with all of my heart, and I'd see a kid moving in his spirit towards the gospel... And all of a sudden, this friend, you know, like hit him in the head with a paper airplane or something, you know, or flick something at him or something. I'm like, man, come on, get away from him. God was working. And, and Jesus talks about that, that sometimes there's a work happening and Satan snatches it away. There's another time where God begins to work in a person's heart, but the soil of their heart is really just the covering of a rock-hard surface. And when any kind of difficulties come, Jesus says those people abandon God. They abandon the gospel. When suffering and persecution comes, the hard rock solid sort of making of their heart resist God. And so they, ha they have an immediate excitement. Oh, this Jesus stuff is cool. Till difficulty comes and they want nothing to do with him. But what I want to look at today is the thorn. I want to look at the thorn. It starts out in 4-7, okay? So let's start there. Jesus says, other seed, so other than the first two I've already described, other seed fell among the thorns. Now this is the same word that was used for the, for the crown of thorns that was made for Jesus by the Roman soldiers and they put it on his head and hit him over the head with a staff and drove those thorns down into his head. Two-inch thorns on this, this crown of thorns that they abused Jesus with. So this seed falls among this thorn bush. And the thorns grew up and choked the seed. And it yielded no grain. So the seed takes root. The seed falls into the soil. It begins to grow up. You can see in verse number nine, 8 what Jesus is desiring, what the sower is desiring... What the gardener wants is found in verse 8. Let's read that. Other seed fell into good soil and it produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's what, the, that's what the, the gardener wants. That's what the sower wants. But the thorn seed falls into the ground. It starts to grow up. 
And then these thorns choke out the seed. The thorn now is working against the gospel of God. The thorn now is opposed to the Spirit of God working in the individual's life. Every time I come here and open up God's Word, I know that if God doesn't work, if God isn't working in people's hearts, if there's not soil that says, I want the seed, then my words come out of my mouth, bounce off that wall, ricochet a few times in the room, and then amount to nothing. So it's important for us to evaluate what opposes seed. What opposes God's work? And one of the things that Jesus describes is thorns. So what are they? I mean, a parable is a, is a, is a worldly story, an earthly story with a, with a heavenly meaning. That's a simple definition, okay? It's not perfect, but it'll work. Jesus is trying to teach us something. Let's jump over to verse 18 where Jesus describes what it is that chokes out the seed. Here, Jesus, now we're just looking at some of what he taught, okay? Let's look at verse number 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. Oh, listen up. Here it is. Now Jesus is going to explain this thorn. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. So they hear the gospel. They hear God's word explained. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. There's the thorn. There it is. Jesus is describing these things that resist God's working. I wanted to start here today because I believe that many American Christians, Berkeley County version, Centerpoint Bible Church, many of us have crowded hearts. We have crowded hearts. We have so many things, thorns now. Thorns that are in our life and they're crowding out the seed of God to work. So what are these thorns? Well, let's just take just a minute and just describe and just understand what Jesus said. What did he say here? What did he mean? First of all, he says, the cares of the world. Literally, that's this. Listen to what that literally is and it will help you understand it. Literally, it is the distractions of the age is what that cares of the world is. This is a thorn that crowds out God's work in our life. The distractions of the age. The things that the age that you and I are living in that distract us from God's work. From God's word. These are the things that that are just in our life because we got to live in this age. You got to live in this world. You got to live in the time that God has placed you. You've got to live as a, as a resident of this community in 2017. But understand 
There are distractions of our age, and they choke out God's word. Secondly, it says, and this must be something a little different, because the Spirit of God now records for us what Jesus said. The first thing was the distractions of the age. The, The second thing was the deceitfulness of riches. The deceit, so the lie of riches. We are very, very wealthy. Folks, we are a wealthy people. And wealth is fine. If God, if God has provided you with wealth, praise the Lord, invested in what he's doing. But that wealth lies to us. Riches lie. And that lie chokes out God's word. It chokes out God's truth. And this lie is, hey, you're okay. Look at your bank account. You're all right. Hey, look at your house. You're okay. Look at your car. You're providing for yourself. You're doing all right. Look at all that you have. Or, or, it's the whole opposite. Man, look at your house. Look at your car. Look at your, look at your credit card balance. You are in trouble, man. You are in bad shape. It is a helpless situation. You have no worth. Either one of those are a deceitfulness of riches. Either having it and being filled by it or not having it and lusting for it. Jesus says that chokes out God's word. It chokes it out. It eliminates us to respond from responding to God and what he's calling us to. So the distractions of the age, the deceitfulness of riches, and look at the third thing that he says, and desires for other things. (laughs) That's pretty broad, isn't it? But let me bring it home a little bit more. That word desire is the word lust. Now that makes it a little more real, doesn't it? The lust, and for other things, is anything else. That's what it literally means. Lust for anything else. So this is, a, this is a passion for something outside of God's plan that I, that I feel drawn to by my flesh. That's what lust is. For anything else. These are the choking thorns that, that press out what God wants to do in our lives. You know, I gave you, I gave you a couple of verses just, just really as introduction to what I want to talk about today. And I want to ask the question, what on earth are you here for? What on earth am I here for? Is it the thorns? Honestly, if you would look at your life, if you would evaluate your life, is it the thorns? Those, those three things that are described, you know, the flashy things, the nice things, the sinful things, that's what those really are. Distractions of the age are the flashy things. Ooh, iPhone 10 or whatever it is. Okay, the nice things that money can buy. The sinful things that I lust for. Are those things what you live for? If it is, if, if you live for the flashy, nice, sinful things, I, I really feel sorry for you. Because you're living a miserable life. I'm not saying that with any kind of hatred or pride or 
I, I feel sorry for people who are running after thorns. Can I tell you what God has called you to? It's laid out on your worship notes. Let me just, let me just, this is all trying to get to Ephesians 5, okay? Listen to what God has called you to. God has given you a mission. God has given you a mission. Let me put this verse up on the screen. This is from Matthew chapter 28. Look what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. All authority given to Jesus. So in that authority that Jesus has, he says to followers of Christ, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There is a mission that you've been recreated for. You're not old flesh. You're not old creation. You're not a thorn lover. God rescued you from the thorns. Oh, it looks pretty, I know. It looks pretty. It looks flashy. It looks nice. It draws to you. It calls to you. But when you wrap your arms around that bush of flowers, number one you'll see in just a matter of hours, those petals are going to fall off. You bet if you want some of these roses from the property, you better get over there in the next couple of days because pretty soon they're going to be gone. That's what flowers do. And then you know what you're left with? The thorns. It's funny. They don't fall off. Interesting, isn't it? It's how God works. You've been given a mission. It's not the old man. The old man was made to seek after things of this earth. The old man, cursed by sin, tried to respond to his passions. The old man, under the curse of God, so we would realize how this earth offers us nothing, chases after riches only to get them and to realize they quickly fade away and I'm stuck with thorns. Misery. You've been given a mission and when you live there, to go and make disciples because the authority of Jesus calls you to it because his presence is there with you through all things, you find joy. You find joy. The greatest joys of my life have been living out that passage. Haven't been perfect. Far from it. Failed more than I've had success, trust me. We're in the same boat. But the joys have been there. You've been given a mission. Secondly, you've been given a motive. Look at this passage. These are ones that every believer should have memorized. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what drives us, our love for God, our love for other people. This is who you are now. This is describing what God has made you to now be. A lover of him. Not a lover of them. A lover of him. Thirdly, the method. This one's close to my heart. It's why I'm here. It's how God changed the direction of my life. You know, when I was a young man, when I was a teenager, my family liked to call me a name. It wasn't Mickey, okay? But, and some of, you, some of you older people will remember this name. Some of you, it's going to go right over your head, kind of like the songs today. Um, 
they would say, they called me, my family called me Alex P. Keaton. <laughs> who, who knows that name? Now, for those of you who don't know, he was a character on a popular show in the 80s, Family Ties, I think was the name of it. Am I right, Steve? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, you shook your head with such gusto when I said Alex P. Keaton. And Alex P. Keaton was consumed with money. He wanted nothing but to earn money. He was very successful. He tried to meet every goal. And he wanted money. And my family liked to call me Alex P. Keaton. You know why that was? Because I wanted money. I wanted success. I wanted everything that, it, that money could buy. I wanted nothing more but to leave West Virginia and go somewhere and make a whole lot of money. I wonder what my family calls me now. A little foolish. What a waste. Could have done so much. Now he stands in a middle school cafeteria and tells people about Jesus. God changes lives. And his means is this. It's what we're doing. It's the church. I don't have this one memorized. Ephesians 3.10, we've studied it together. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that's the multicolored wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is reaching people, and he's going to do it through his church. That's, that's his method. As is, is broken as it may be, as unpolished as it often is, as much as it may have harmed you in the past. It's harmed me many times. I'm telling you, I've been harmed by the church more than you. But I still believe it is God's method and it's where I will invest my life. And I say to you, do the same. Do the same. It's what he's going to do. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's how I'm going to reach the world. So here we are, 2,000 years after Jesus said that, and the organization of the church is still alive today. Find another one. Find another one that started 2,000 years ago and it's still moving along. It ain't. This is how he's going to work. And then finally, just the model of Jesus. Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now that is striking. Can you think about what that means? As the Father sent Jesus, come to earth, lay aside all of your glory, humbly serve, give your life, I'm sending you. Folks, thorns never satisfy. So what do we do? Okay, now we can go to Ephesians 5, okay? Ephesians chapter 5. And let's read this and understand what it is that God is calling us to. Now, we know the context. That's why you're turning here. Let me just remind you that, that Paul, as the Spirit of God, inspired him. Paul is now describing in chapters 4, 5, and 6 how we are to live. Now that God has made us a new creature, how we are to live. How our lives should look. 
And the word that Paul uses, he didn't invent it. This was the common language of the day. When you described how someone lived, how they fought, how they spent their time, how they spent their money, how they spent their relationships, how they were entertained, how they, how they experienced life. You called it your walk. That's what it was called. Walk is a, is a very general word that just means this is how you live. Your walk. So Paul now is telling us what the Spirit of God wants us to know about how we are to live our life. Verse number, I'm going to read verse 14, okay, because I like it, but 15 is on the screen. Listen to 14. Awake, O sleeper. (laughs) Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. And rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to look at really three phrases today. Okay, Three brief phrases, because I knew I was going to go for a long time on the soils. um, That talk about how we are to live Okay, how we are to live as followers of Christ, that he's with us, we're given a mission, we're given a motive, we're, we're given a means, we're given a model, how we are to, how we are to live our life. So this is, this is a lot of exhortation today of how we are to live. And the first one is this, you and I, as followers of Christ, are to live thoughtfully. Thoughtfully. Let me show you how I got to that phrase, okay? Look what it says. Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Now, it's interesting to look at other Bible translations, how they attempt to translate many of the phrases in this passage. According to the ESV, it's look carefully, okay? NIV, if you're holding an NIV, it says be very careful. If you have a King James or new King James, listen to what it says. See that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly. Now that's the word that you and I never use. Okay? But you can see in it what the word means. What it, okay, high school geometry class? What is the circumference of a circle? Ugh, right? It's all around. That's circumference. We are to look and to live and to walk. See that you walk circumspectly. We are to be living thoughtfully is what this means. Let me take this apart. The word look here means to pay attention, to be on guard, to observe with intelligence. It is to be looking around, to have the utmost concentration. If you're a follower of Christ, wake up, wake up, and have the utmost concentration. Open up your eyes and see the world around you. Know what it offers. Know what it presents. And live thoughtfully. You can't afford to coast. You cannot afford to coast from Sunday to Sunday. Okay, you know, I heard all about God. Now I'm going to just take off. And you slow down. It doesn't work that way. I've got to live my life carefully, thoughtfully, with the 
utmost concentration. I've got my mind on, my my spirit-infused mind on, watching things closely. And let me show you what we're looking for. We see from the, you know, here's how you understand God's word. This was so important for me in my early 20s to finally understand. In order for me to understand what Paul's saying, you know what I do? I read what he said around it. He told me to live thoughtfully. So what's he warning me against? Well, let's look all around it. Jump up at verse number, verse number three. Just look with me there. But sexual morality and all impurity and covetousness must not be even named among you. Look thoughtfully and understand that my character matters. Be, be, I'm going to avoid a corrupt character. Listen now what, what, the, what the Bible says. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So I'm going to look thoughtfully now at those that are around me, at the practices that I'm engaged in, and understand that sexual sin and everything that it includes is nothing but a thorn. So I'm going to, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to be careful and avoid circumspectly, I'm going to have my eyes wide open, watching carefully. Just, I, I got to move along just for the sake of time. But look at verse number six. Let no one, these are things we're watching out for. Let no one deceive you with empty words. There are people in your life whose ambition is to deceive you. You know that, right? There are people who get up in the morning and they're going into their life to deceive you. Wednesday, I was having coffee with Pastor Brock, who's not here this morning. We walk out of McDonald's and this young man walks up to Brock and I and he says, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure, what's up? He's like, well, I'd like to offer you some reading material. I looked at Brock, and Brock looked at me. I saw what he was holding there, watchtower, Jehovah Witness. I said, ah, oh, okay, yeah, I'll answer your question. Let's talk. And so he asked me a question, and we heard it. And I said, now, can we ask you a question? Sure. So we started this whole discussion, okay? And I won't go into it, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I think we were loving, okay? I think we were loving. And I think he walked away challenged. You know what? He got up that morning looking to deceive someone. He himself being deceived. He himself deceived by false doctrine and came in looking to deceive. Be aware. Be careful. Carefully look around. There are people who are attempting to deceive us. Not just with our actions, but even with our thoughts. Every time we log into the internet, every time we turn on the television, those people who are putting out their view are wanting to deceive us. They're wanting to deceive us. And so many men and women are falling victim to the television screen that's telling them, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how you live. Love wins. It doesn't matter how you live. And it's a lie. It's false doctrine. And Paul here is saying, as the Spirit of God moved him to say this, you and I have got to be careful, have the utmost concentration. You cannot afford to take a mental break. You can't. That's what sleep is for. 
Okay? Other than that, you are on and you are watching. And then just the last thing, verse 11 Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention or to speak of the things that they do in in secret. So watch out for corrupt thinking, amusement that is tied to sin. Be careful there. Be on guard. Be on guard. So look Carefully, Paul says, we are on a, we're in a battle. We're in a battle and we got to be on guard. When I was in the military years ago, we would train how to, how to fight from a foxhole. You might think, well, that's an easy thing to do, right? You just sort of, you know, shoot somebody from a foxhole. That's not, that's not all there is to it. It's not all there is to it because the enemy is always looking for a place where the defense is down. And so the enemy doesn't just come and just run over, you know, a whole group of of, a platoon or whatever. That's not what they do. That'd be stupid. The enemy comes and does little surgical strikes here to see, are they asleep in their foxhole? Oh, they fired back. Let's go over here. They do a surgical strike there. Are they asleep in their foxhole? And they move on. And then they find that place where nobody responds. And so that person never wakes up. They're found in their foxhole, dead. That's how, that's how battles go. We can't afford to not look carefully. Go back to Ephesians 5. You didn't leave it. I did. We're back. Okay. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, we need to understand what the word wisdom means. Okay, because we're supposed to walk wisely, not unwisely. Really, what I want to tell you here is we need to live eternally. Now, I want to tell you how I got there. How did I get to live eternally? By the definition of wisdom. Wisdom in the world might mean that you know how to manage money. Wisdom in the world might be you know how to manage people. Wisdom in the world might be that you can get somebody else to do what you want them to do. Wisdom in the world might be that you know how to read people and you can, you know, maybe manipulate them. None of that is what biblical wisdom is. When the Bible says wisdom, it means something completely different than any other person in the world would use the word wisdom. Let me help you get there. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7. Listen to what it says. The fear, this is Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Very similarly, in Psalm 14.1, it says, The fool sells in his heart, there is no God. And in Proverbs 2, verse number 5, it says that the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God is what wisdom is. You see, when the Bible speaks of wisdom... It's an understand that there is a God and that he has an eternal plan. And what we're being called here to do is to live our life eternally. A wise man understands that there's a God. It isn't just what's here and now. There is a God of the universe. And every creature, every person 
that you interact with is an eternal being. C.S. Lewis is famous for saying that if you saw someone one million years from now, you would be tempted to either bow before them in worship because now they're in their eternal glory or run from them in fear like they're some type of a monster in hell. The point of his little story there is every person is eternal. And God's people who are alive and awake live that way, live knowing that, live in a way that aligns with that. They're wise. Changes everything. See, the thorns, the deceitfulness of riches, the passion of the flesh, the the desire for all these things, the, the distractions of the age, they're everything to do with now. The wise man understands that there is a plan, there is a God, and he's called you into it. So live in that way. Live thoughtfully and live eternally. And then lastly, just, just this one's very important. And let me tell you, you can totally misunderstand this next verse. And some of you do all the time. Here's what it says. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, this verse is often listed on the the front cover of a time management book. How to get more hours out of your day. How to get things done. How to, you know, manage your life and, and do all that kind of stuff. It has nothing to do with that at all. This is not a verse saying, be a better user of your, you know, calendar device, whatever it might be. This has nothing to do with strategically managing your time. Now, that's you should be saying, huh? It sure seems like it's saying, be efficient with my time. Get there early, 10 minutes early. Plan to stay late. Have a to-do list that you do and check those things off. Color one red, one blue, one yellow. Do the green now. Do the red later. Baloney. That's not what this means. Let me help you. See that word time? That word time is a word that very rarely is understood in our culture. There's two words in Greek for time. There's one you know. There's one you need to know. It's chronos. Any idea what that might mean? Chronos? That's time. That's American time. That's hour by hour. That's their 60 minutes an hour and there's 24 hours a day. I need to make the most of those, efficiently use this the best I can. And that is not what that's saying. This is not hour by hour time. This is the word keros. You know what it means? Let me give you a hint. Listen how the NIV translates this phrase. It says, make the most of every opportunity. This is a general word that means the time that you are in, the opportunity that you have, 
The place and the setting and the moment that you are in. Make the most of it. Make the most of it. Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. I would tell you this passage is telling you to live strategically. Strategically. This is not telling you to have a daytimer there, you know, we must leave at 3.05. That's not what it means. And so many of us, that's, that's how we live our lives. We're so dictated by our calendar. We're so dictated by our watch. We're so dictated by our agenda that we let the opportunity go. I can't talk to you. I can't share Christ with you. I can't encourage you. I can't admonish you. I can't open up God's word for you. I can't tell you what God's will is for you. I got to get to an appointment. I got a dentist appointment. My kid has practice. School starts in six minutes. I got homework to do. I got to mow the grass. I got to pull the weeds. I got to plant flowers. I'm trying to tell you all the things that I don't do, right? I got to do all those things. And I'm making the most. No, you're not. The Spirit of God is saying, you have an opportunity. You right now are around people that you will never, you are never guaranteed to be around them again. You're going to have a moment today that's going to be here and be gone. And as that great theologian, Napoleon, said, that's a joke, okay, but there's a moment in the battle. There's a moment in every battle that the whole thing is won or lost by that moment. That's a great truth, isn't it? The Spirit of God is calling us to live strategically. You are placed in a circumstance, and in a time, and in a relational circle, in a sphere of influence that nobody else has. And God says, use it. Use it. Here's my call to you. Share your life, folks. Look carefully. Live eternally. Live strategically. And share your life. And in so doing, your life will have meaning. You will leave a legacy. You will leave a legacy as you open up your life to other people. I got a few areas I want to throw at you to think about. And they're tied to things that, that you're going to be called to at Center Point Bible Church in the next, coming, the next few months. First of all, in the area of personal evangelism. Listen, share your life. I praise God that we walked out of the McDonald's and that young man came and talked to us. And and I was ready. We shared the gospel with him. Listen, I was late. I had to go. My wife was waiting on me and there was things we needed to do. But I had to put that aside and share my life. In November, November of this calendar year, we're going to spend a a great amount of time talking about how to share the gospel with somebody. One-on-one. 
how you can share the gospel with somebody. Start praying now for an opportunity. I kid you not, Monday this week, Monday of this very week, I'm sitting there having my time with the Lord, and I wrote down in my journal, Lord, give me an opportunity this week to share the gospel. You think that was a coincidence? I don't. I do not. Start praying. Start praying. Secondly, share your life. Share your life. Listen, there are, we are blessed. And there are scores of children that run around this place. And the greatest joy of my life has been pointing children and teenagers to Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to stand in front of 20 teens, senior high teens, who are daring me to teach them the Bible, right? You guys weren't. I'm just kidding. But to stand there and call them to who the Spirit of God is and to live in submission, that, that's a joy. And I want you to have that joy. I want you to have a life that you can know God is using. So invest who you are in other people. Go teach third graders about Jesus. Go sit with a first grader and look at their passion for God as they sing songs of praise to the Lord and be challenged by it. Last week we had the kids in the service with us. I looked around watching. I'm like, man, I wish we praised God like they do. They got no problem clapping. They're just they're going to town, right? Share your life. Share your life. Thirdly, community. Community. We say it all the time. Intimacy with God, community with others, influence in your world. Folks, there are people that need you. And you need them. We need relationships. You, you cannot do this thing on your own. You are not going to live your life on your own and experience the abundant life. You go by yourself. You, you branch off on your own and you are going to be a casualty in the battle. I want you to know, I will crawl out on the field to get you. But I will come with others who are in my community. We will come and find you. And we will lift you on our shoulders. But I'm telling you now, you got to have it. you got to have it. So in December, December of this year, we're shifting what we're doing, 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 what we're doing during the focus hour. We're sh- a slight shift. You know why? Because we recognize Centerpoint Bible Church, many people are not experiencing community with others. So we're shifting what we're doing. Stay tuned and be ready to share your life. And then just lastly, find out what God is doing around you. Because he's, he's at work. And jump on with him. So remember what we heard. You're called to walk by looking carefully. Got to have your eyes open. By living eternally. Okay, I'm not, I'm not just living for now. And I'm living strategically because I've been placed in this moment for a reason. Let's pray for one another. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that we would be responsive to your spirit. God, that we would do what you modeled as you sent Jesus. We are now being sent. 
I think of Jesus, Lord, and I praise you because you lived so strategically with the purpose of eternity in your heart all the time. And you were always aware of opportunities. You were looking carefully. We pray your spirit would do that same work in us. Give us a passion for what you're doing and a willingness to respond. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.